you take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We're continuing our study on the marks of spiritual growth. And if we are alive in Christ, then we are growing. And we studied so far that the first mark is love. That I should be able to look at my life and I should see that I, my love for God is increasing. And if my love for God is increasing, then I love you all the more. And then we looked at learn, and that is that my desire for the Word of God should increase, and my desire to learn it with others increases. Last week, we, we looked at 1 John, and John reminded us that uh, if we are to, if our mark of spiritual growth is to live in obedience, especially the command to love one another. This week, we want to move on to the last mark, and we'll see two facets of it, and that is to lead. Uh, if, if an organism is alive, and when it matures, any organism that reaches maturity does what? It reproduces. And so, if we are growing in Christ, we are not fully grown, we have not fully matured until we are reproducing, until we are making disciples. Uh, in fact, as a church, we want to be a church of disciples who makes disciples until Jesus comes again. And so... Uh, we want to undersee if we are fully grown. If we are fully grown as a disciple, if we, are, if we have matured, then we are reproducing. And that is we are making disciples. And the, probably the most famous passage for making disciples is found in Matthew 28. And it is called... And we're going to read that this morning. Matthew chapter 28 beginning at verse 16. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So, Father, as we take a few moments to come to this very familiar passage, I pray that its familiarity to many of us will not hinder us from hearing your voice speaking to us today about our leading others to follow Jesus. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. As I come to this passage of Scripture, it is probably one of the most over 
overwhelming passages of Scripture that we read. As you think about this, that, that, that Jesus is sending 11 men out to go into all the world and make disciples, to, to, to turn the world upside down. That's exactly what they did. And that, that's an overwhelming task. For, for, uh, for us as individuals and us, for you see, God has not brought us together in order to just minister to each other. He's not brought us together just to, to reach out to this community. God wants to touch the world through this church. And that's overwhelming to think that, that, that we can touch a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, this passage of Scripture is probably one of the most comforting passages of Scripture to me because as you read it, you see that you, you begin to, to sense uh, who these men are that Jesus has called. For you read right there in verse 16, you read of their obedience, that they had gone to the mountain that Jesus had directed them to. They're there, that Jesus told them to be there, and they are there. And when they see the risen Lord, we see their worship. The, the word there for worship means they themselves. It's the same word that, that was used, that Matthew used of the, the, the wise men who came at the birth of Jesus. They bowed down to worship him. But then I, I, I see that little phrase at, at the end of verse 17, some doubted. Now, when you read that word some, we've got to go back to our English lesson. Some means more than one. Seven disciples, and I don't know who else was there. There was more than one of them whose faith was not perfect. And yet Jesus is going to give them this momentous task. And see, that gives me great comfort. This commission to weak people who... Identify that with... should be. I don't know about you, but I know that's true of me. Which I can't say I, I'm too weak. I can't say I, I, I'm not strong enough. I, I'm not good enough. I have no excuses. For Jesus gives a commission. He commands these disciples to go out and reproduce. To make disciples. And so if I Going to, if I'm going to measure my spiritual life, I know that I am growing when I am in the process of making disciples. And, and Jesus tells us how to do that because, listen, if you, if you look at it in the Greek, there is one command, and it's in the imperative. It is a command. He says, make disciples. That's what we're out to do that. And he tells us how to do that by giving us three participles that describe how we are to make 
disciples, he says first, it literally says, as you are going. So in order to make disciples, then you must be going. And what he's saying is, is saying is you live your life so that wherever and whenever you go, your primary task is to make disciples. That is, whether you're going to work, whether you're going to school, whether you're going on vacation, whether you're going to the grocery store, you're living your life knowing that God has commissioned me that wherever I'm going, there may be a possibility right now for me to make a disciple. And so I, I have to live with that kind of purpose. But then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So how do we make disciples? Well, who do you baptize? Who do you baptize? See, we're, we're, we're not like who believe you baptize infants. We believe in believers' baptism by immersion. I believe that's what the Bible teaches, that those who believe are baptized. So in order to baptize someone, they must what? They must believe, and how can they believe unless someone, what, tells them? And so, what is he saying? In order to make disciples, then we need to tell other people about Jesus and how they can be saved, and so that when they are saved, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but then our job is not complete, for he says what? Teaching them to observe everything that Christ has commanded us. Which means what? God has not called us, listen, God has not called us to make converts. God has not called people to make decisions for Christ. God has called us to make disciples. That is, when people are born again, we must help them grow. You see, you cannot, you, you cannot divorce evangelism from discipleship. Because if all you're doing is getting people to uh, make a decision for Christ, that is, listen, and you just leave them there, that is tantamount to having a child being born and then throwing the infant in the dumpster. And yet that's too often what the church has done. We go out and we, we, we uh, lead them to the Lord. We get them to make a decision. But then we leave them alone. As if that's the end. No, Jesus says you must teach them all to observe all that he's commanded. And if we're going to be obedient to his commission there are four things that must be true in our lives there are there must be four things that are true in our lives that Jesus tells us in this passage and he uses the word all I don't know if you ever noticed there really are four alls in this passage there is what all authority all the world all the teachings, and all ways. For all that, 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 that must be true in our lives, that, that must be a part of our lives if we are going 
to make disciples. If our, if our focus every day is going to be, how, how am I sent here? Who can I share with? How can I lead them to Christ? And how can I teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded me? That's, that's our commission. That's, that's what he's called you to be. People say, well, I need a purpose in my life. You know, that's what the world, I, you know, I just have to have purpose. I have to have a purpose in my life. What am I here to do? Well, Jesus has given it to you. He said, go and make disciples. That, that's your purpose. That's why he's left you here. That's why he's left you here. Is so that you can be a part of that process. So if that's going to be a part of my life, then the first thing that must be true is I must trust that Jesus has all authority. I must trust that Jesus has all authority. You see, when Jesus, the Bible teaches, Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of As the position authority that every and receive dominion. into heaven and sat down in his right hand of his father when Jesus throughout heaven and earth and all of history listen is moving towards his purposes. Listen, that this is why we know that there are no accidents and there are no coincidences. There are no accidents and there are no coincidences. Do you realize today, and this is how, if I'm going to believe that Jesus, if I'm going to live believing that Jesus has all authority, that means that everyone I come in contact with is not by accident. That I am there, that God has strategically allowed me to cross paths with this people in order to be salt and light. what does that look like when I live? Well, you know, we, we, look at, we look at life as a bunch of inconveniences sometimes, don't we? Traffic is too heavy, so I'm not getting where I need to be at that moment. But what should we be saying? Lord, you have slowed me down in order that when I get where I'm going, I'm going to see someone or I'm going to cross paths with someone that you are putting strategically in my life in order for me to be salt and light. 
in order for me to make disciples, to be in that process of helping people come to know Christ and to follow Him. And yet too often we as believers, what do we do? We walk through life with blinders on. We, we walk through life without looking at the people around us. And yet the people around us are ultimately the reason why we are there. I know you may have gone to the store to buy bread. But God is directing your path so that when you are at that store to buy bread, there are people to whom you can be salt and light to. And so every day, listen, every day, we ought to be asking ourselves, Lord, how do you want to use me today? God, God, help me to see the people that you put into my path today. Help me to see the opportunities that you've given me today to be a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help me to see that because, you're, because all authority has been given to you in heaven and on earth. There is no accidents. There's no coincidences. Lord, you are directing even my life for your purposes. So how do you want to use me today? But to know and to believe, listen, to know and to believe that, G that all authority has been given to Jesus, you see, that's the reason that we know and can trust that all things work together for good. Because he, he's in control. Do, do we ever do you ever stop and, and and consider that God has allowed you to go through some very difficult times in your lives not for you but for another purpose This week I was introduced to Helen Rosevear. I don't know if you've heard of her before. It's the first time I've ever heard of her. She was a missionary doctor to the Congo in Africa. Uh, in, in 1964, she went to the Congo, and shortly after that, she was arrested. And for five months, she was repeatedly brutalized and raped until she was expelled from the country and sent back home to Ireland, to Belfast, where she, where she lived. Within 14 months, she went back to the Congo to serve the Lord as a missionary doctor. And as I, as I heard about that, I, I know the first question I asked was, how in the world, how in the world could she do that? How in the world could, could she go back to the people who had brutalized her for five months? How in the world could she do that? She said this, she said, I heard God asking me as I was reading scripture one day about giving thanks in all circumstances. He, 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 he asked me, can you thank me? And she said, certainly not, I, I, not for the evil that was done to me. I, I can't 
thank you for that. And she said, she heard the Lord asking her, thank me for trusting you. Trusting me? I'm the one trusting you. What do you mean, God, that you are trusting me? And he said, can you thank me for trusting you with this experience, even if I never tell you why you went through it? And she said, that thought brought me great peace, for as soon as I said, thank you, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you allowed this. But it is a part of your purpose. Thank you for trusting me with it. She went back to the Congo to serve the very people that had brutalized her. Because she thanked the Lord for trusting her with the experience. I was talking to Diane this week. And she doesn't want to be in rehab. She didn't want to break her foot or ankle. And she doesn't want to be there. Nobody wants to be away from home. Nobody wants to have to depend on somebody else. And nobody wants to have to go through that. But she changed something this week. She told me earlier this week she started... Hearing the people, are, you, know, you know how it is sometimes when, you, when you're in places like that, you hear people cry out and groan and moan and just call out. And she said, I couldn't do anything for them, so I just started praying for them. And then she said, I started going around in my wheelchair and I just would go around from room to room and start praying for people. And then I went to the the little dining area, and they started talking to this woman. This woman said, was telling her all the troubles, and Diane said, well, can I pray for you? And you know, you know what happened? She began to thank God for trusting her with the experience. Because other, if she had not gone through all that she had gone through in breaking her leg, she would never have the experience of being able to witness to people that she would have never been in contact with. And guess what? The more her eyes were off herself, she, you know, and on other people, it made the experience a lot more easier for her to be there. You see, that's what I'm talking about. That is trusting that God has allowed you to go through these things so that, and he's trusted you so that, so that, that it's, it, it's, you know, that, that God, you know, because listen, everything that happens to you is because God allowed it. He, he, he didn't cause it, but he allowed it. And if he allowed it, guess what he wants to do? He wants to redeem it. And if you will trust him with it, then you will say, okay, Lord, because I've gone through this, because I'm here now, how can I use this? How can I use the deepest pain that I've ever gone through? How can I use it not to wallow in it, not to allow it to affect me for the rest of my life, but how do I, how do God, do I use this to minister to other people in order that I might be a witness to them about the love of Jesus? Are you thankful today for all the things that God has trusted you with? 
because all authority has been given to him under heaven and earth. But not only must I, I, I live believing that, that he has all authority, I must live as, I am, as if I am to all the world. Now, I know the English translation is, I'm sending you into all, all the world. Or all nations. We, we, we sort of tend to think of geographic boundaries. But the word there is the word we get ethnicities from. To all the ethnic groups, to all the ethnic people, to all the people groups in the world. You see, our, our mission field is the world, which is all the people in the world, all the ethnic groups in the world, which means our mission field is not only across the street, it's across the seas. You see, God is saying to you, is I want you to be a gospel explorer. I want you to find those peoples and cultures and speak and tell and proclaim the gospel there because he intends to do what? He intends to gather his people from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. You see, even here in the, in the gospel of Matthew, you get a glimpse of heaven. Of, Revel of what God says through the book of Revelation, that on that day there will be people gathered around the throne from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Which means I don't look at people as foreigners. I don't look, I don't look at people as strangers. Because what do we do with foreigners and strangers naturally? We ignore them. We look at people as people for whom Jesus died. You've probably heard of William Carey, the father of modern missions. William Carey went to India to share the gospel, but before he set sail from India for India as a missionary, he was a shoe cobbler in England in the 1800s. But even then, as a cobbler, he was obsessed with the world. He had a map of the world on the wall, and on that map, whenever he had heard, whenever somebody had come in, now this is, again, this is well before the days of telephones and, and the internet and Google and all the rest of it. And so when travelers would come into his shop, who had come from foreign parts of the world, he would always ask them, tell me about the people there. Tell me about the people. Tell me about the people that you found. And on that map, he would write about the people in the world, about the people so that he could what? So that he could pray for them. You see, he wasn't just obsessed for his home country. He was obsessed with how the commission of Jesus was going to be fulfilled to the whole world. How easy it is, is it for us today to pray for the nations? How easy is it for us today to pray 
for all the people groups in the world. Listen, with a click of a mouse, you can learn about every tribe, nation, and tongue in the world. You can learn about what their struggles are. You can learn about what they're going through. You can learn everything about them, and then you can pray for them. Shouldn't that be a part of who we are? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we as a people, be adopting nations to pray for? It's one of the reasons I'm glad this is here. Because this is an opportunity for you to look at and say, oh, wow, we have already sent boxes to this, to this country. Let me learn a little bit about the people there. Let me, let me take a little bit of time to, with a, just a click of a mouse to learn about what kinds of people live there and how can I pray for them personally? How can I pray for them that the gospel will go to them? We have, we have contacts and we support Abraham Thomas in India. And because of that, he, he is reaching people not only, he's not only sending people to India to preach the gospel. He's sending them to Myanmar and Nepal and other countries. That's an opportunity for us to say, hey, we're supporting them. Let me learn a little bit about these people so that I can pray for them. How often are you praying for the world? But know something. Have you noticed that God is bringing the world to us? You will open your eyes, you will see the nations around us. Ashley shared last week that she's praying for a student from Nepal. Do you realize that? Now listen, listen to me, okay? I, I did a search this week. And I, I, I sat this church at the center, and I said, I said to my program, it's called Mission Insight. It helps me to see all the people around us. And I said, tell me about everybody who lives within a 20-minute drive of this church. Now, how many of you live within 20 minutes of, everybody live within 20 minutes? Okay, so this includes you. There are nearly 7,000 people living within 20 minutes of this church from places like Nepal, Afghanistan, Iran, and Pakistan. Within a 20-minute drive of this church, over 41,000 people speak Spanish in their home. That's their heart language. It's what they speak in their home. I'm going to blow you away. Within a 20-minute drive of this church, there are 10,000 people who speak some form of the Indian language, some form of Hindi in their home. They're from India. Within a 20-minute drive of this church, there are 10,000 people from India. Within a 20-minute drive of this church, there are 2,500 people who are from China. Within a 20-minute drive of this church, there are 2,100 people from Vietnam. Within a 20-minute drive from this church, there are 1,200 Filipinos and over 1,200 Hmong, H-M-O-N-G. They're a people group from China, Laos, Thailand, who live in China, Laos, Thailand, and Myanmar. Just within 20 minutes from here. Now, we've had a Spanish church meeting here, and I hope we will again when, 
when they leave. But let me ask you a question. If we're going to think about the world and the world among us, what would it be like, you know, because this building sits here and we use it for a couple of hours on Sunday. There's a school, we use it for a couple of hours on Friday. We have a Spanish church that will be leaving at the end of this month. They use the church a couple hours on Sunday and Saturday. What if, what if there was an Indian church that met here? What if there was a Filipino church that met here? Church that met here. What if, what if there was a Vietnamese church that met here? What if, what if there was a Hmong church that met here? Wouldn't that be awesome? You say, Steve, how, how in the world could that happen? We, we begin to pray. If we're going to be serious about reaching the nations, then we realize that there are nations among us. I don't speak their heart language. I don't know anything about them, but God knows them. And God has a person who will reach them. There's a church in, in High Point that noticed that they had a lot of Pakistani people living around their church. They began to pray. They prayed for six months. After six months, a man came to their door whose father was a pastor in Pakistan saying that I've, I, I just came to your church because I had a sense that, that, I, 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 that I just needed to come here. I want to reach Pakistani people with the gospel. And they started a Pakistani church in their building. What would happen? Let me ask this question. What would happen? What would that be like? And, and you listen, and guess what? Most of these people, when they come here, what do they want their children to do? Do they want them to continue to speak their native language? What do they want them to do? They want to speak English. So what would it be like, listen, if our children's ministry had red and yellow, black and white? Because they're the kids of all these parents. What would that be like? Wouldn't that be, to me, that's what makes, that, that's what trips my trigger. God put that, that, God put that vision on my heart years ago. And I just wanted to share it with you. And so I begin thinking about the nations around us. Say, what can we do as a church? Would we commit to say, Ashley's prayed and she said, there's this woman from Nepal. What would, we, what would happen if we began to say, God, how could we as a church reach the Nepali people living in our community? If there's 10,000 people from India, how can we, and we have a partnership with, a, with an Indian, with, with a ministry in India, what would it be like to say, God, what, what would it take? How could we, and we make that a part of our regular praying. And then just say, God, you do it, and we'll be obedient to whatever you send us. But it's not only reaching the nations. We, we also have to reach the people around us. And guess what? Unfortunately, even those who speak English, who are our native they speak English and they're, they're Americans. They're, some of them are too different from us for us to reach them. Isn't that sad? 
So I'm glad Buff is going to, we're, we're supporting him because he's going out to reach and we're going to pray for you, brother, at the end of this service. But he's going to reach people that most of us would say, ah, they don't, they don't look quite right. Of course, Buff don't look quite right either, but that's okay. We love him. We've got to say, God, how can we reach them? So we have to live as, we're, as if we're sent to all the world. Not only that, and we must obey all the commandments. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Well, listen. Things are better what? Caught than taught. If we're going to teach others to observe what Christ has commanded us, what's the best way to do it? It's for us to obey all the things that Christ has commanded us. We have to have the attitude of Paul which says what? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I think Ezra helps us here. Ezra in Ezra's chapter 7 verse 10 says this. It says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra studied the word. The word there when he says he set his heart to study, it, it literally means to tread over the same ground as if on a hunt. This indicates that Ezra was on the search for truth. He, he wanted to know God, and so he diligently searched the Scriptures. And then once he captured a truth, he said what? I, he set his heart to obey it. Once I know it, I need to obey it. He needed to, if he found a truth, he would believe it. If he found a command, he would do it. If he found a sin, he would avoid it. And then once he was obeying it, he said, Lord, help me to teach it to everyone. That's, that's the heart that you and I must have. If we are going to fulfill the command to go and make disciples, then we need to be growing as disciples. We need to be studying the Word. We need to be committed to obeying the Word. We need to be committed <coughs> to sharing it with others. <coughs> what people need today are living examples to follow. How did you learn to pray? By listening to other people pray. How did you learn to study the word? By asking somebody how they studied the word. And following their example. How did you learn to witness? You followed an example. You and I, listen. If we're going to make disciples, then we're going to have to live as examples. And we're going to continue this thought next week. As we look at making disciples... And helping people grow as disciples. But if I'm going to be, if I'm going to be leading people to Jesus, then I must obey all the commands. Finally, I must believe that Jesus is with me all the time. I've got to believe it. Behold, I'm with you always. 
to the end of the age. Matthew began his gospel by telling us that Emmanuel has come, God with us. And now as Jesus, as he closes out the gospel, Jesus is promising us that he will continue to be with us wherever we go. How does he do that? He does that by indwelling us with the Spirit. That's why he told his disciples after this, he said, now wait in Jerusalem. Don't, don't go out and try to fulfill this mission. Wait until Jerusalem, until the Spirit comes. Because Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit. Can I ask you a question? And I know the hour is growing late. And, but, but can I ask you a question? Have you, have you ever felt that God, and we asked this question in Sunday school, have you ever felt like God was not with you? Can, can I give you a little secret here, I think, from this passage of Scripture? Is that Jesus' promise to be with us is connected to the commission he gave us. And so if I live on mission, if I live on mission with him, if it's my purpose and desire to be on mission with Jesus to redeem a lost world, if I'm living my life on mission, I will always know his presence. Maybe one of the reasons that we don't feel his presence is we're not living on mission. You see, when I believe and I know that Jesus is with me, I know that he gives me strength to do whatever I need to do. I know that he will give me the courage to do it. I know he will give me the peace in the midst of it to do it. I know that he will be my joy. I know even that if I don't know what to say, he has promised me that he will give me the words to say. I know that when I get discouraged, that he will be my encouragement. I know that he will give me everything I need to accomplish his mission. Because that's what he's promised. And right now, I want you to know that, that you have everything you need to be his witness. And I know the first thing people say, well, I just, I, you know, what if somebody, what if somebody asked me something I don't know? You may tell you what you tell them. I don't know. What is a witness? A witness is somebody, when you're called on a witness stand, are you asked to tell the court what you don't know? You tell the court what you see, what you've seen, what you saw, what you experienced. You tell the court what you know. That's what a witness does. A witness tells people what they know. That's all it is. My favorite, my favorite definition of evangelism is this. Evangelism, sharing the gospel, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Do you know where to find bread? I know where to find bread. The bread of life, his name is Jesus. And I wasn't worthy, I was just a beggar who found bread to do. 
And he said, if you'll do that, I'll be with you always, and I will give you everything you need to accomplish that task. So this is our measuring stick. This is our, this is our measure. This is what we're measuring ourselves again, up against. Am I leading other people to Christ? Am I, am I in that process? And I look at my life and I go, okay, God, am, am, am I living on mission? Do I really believe that, that, that all authority is given unto you and that you're directing my paths? And so I am, le- I, I am living every day as if I am on mission with you to redeem a lost world. That I say to you every day, Lord, I'm available for whatever you want me to do. Am I... Am I seeing all people? Am I seeing the nations? Am I seeing all people around me? You know, I love what D.L. Moody said. He said, I I saw all people with a big L on their forehead. I saw them as lost until I knew that they had come to know Christ. Do you see all people that way? Are are, are you living your life seeing people that way? Thirdly, are you you living your life seeking to obey everything that Christ has commanded? Are you you able to say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ? And then do you know that Christ is with you so that you're his witness every day, sharing what you know, every opportunity that you can get? That's the standard. That's how I measure myself today. And if you look at that and you say, man, this is an area I fall short. What does the Bible say? We confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me of our unrighteousness. I stop and I say, God, I'm not measuring up here. So, Lord, help me right now. Help me right now. Start living this way so that I can be your witness.